Good afternoon, eh, all of you. Uh, several days ago, Brother Edmund asked me to speak to you all today. Lah. So he said, this is a youth group. So I heard youth group, I said, double A, different frequency, old man like me. They said, this group very mature. So I asked him, what's the age group? He said something like 18 to 24. Uh, it's mature enough. <laughs> so I thought for young people, what should I tell, what should I talk about? At first he suggested some dumb topic. I thought that would be a bit uh, dry. La. So uh, I remember a few years ago, uh, there was a doctor in Singapore. He was a plastic surgeon, I think, do this uh, Botox and all that, beautifying women. At first, he intended to be a specialist doctor, but then he thought nah, it's a faster way to make money eh, by becoming this type of uh, plastic surgeon. So he opened his clinic. It seems the first year, he was already a millionaire. And later, he got a few doctors under him, six doctors or something like that. But at the age of 40-something, he suddenly got cancer. And he was dying of cancer. And then he went to his old university, I think, in the U.S., and gave a talk to the students, they said, how you are so ambitious uh, before. Huh? All he wanted was to make a lot of money. And he be had become so rich, huh? he bought Ferrari, Porsche and all these things. By the age of 40-something, he was dying. And then he regretted. He said, uh, money is all that. It's, it's not all that important. So I thought that kind of talk... Huh? benefits young people, young people, you are about to embark on your life, you've got to have a direction in life. So it's good to learn from the experience of others. So I thought, I'll talk to you about my life. My life is in the opposite direction. I was born in Kuala Lumpur, 1947. I grew up in Kuala Lumpur. My parents were Penang, Baba, Nonia. I went to a Catholic school for 12 years. Never learned Mandarin. And because I was in a Catholic school for 12 years, I was very interested in the Catholic religion. So much so, I used to go to the chapel every day and pray. So, some Christian brothers, they noticed so after school, they organized a special class for a few of us huh, who were very keen on the Catholic religion. But then when they organized this special class for us, huh, many of us huh, had doubts huh, and we would argue with them. And at my time, huh, those, those brothers huh, were Irish mainly, huh, some French, some Canadian, all that. And they were very nice people. So nice huh, that... Probably today I'm a monk because I was inspired by them. And many of them died in Malaysia, never went back to their country. So it was a life of dedication because of their religion. So what were the doubts I had? They said, you have to baptize 
Otherwise, you never go to heaven. So we we think lah, if a person is not a Christian lah, but he's a good man and he helps people, does not do evil. Doesn't sound logical lah, that he has to go to hell forever and ever, isn't it? In the first place, lah, why make hell? You make hell to put somebody there, isn't it? Don't have to make hell. Lah. Make everybody go to heaven, isn't it? Uh, it's a kind of questions uh, as a young man we asked. Lah. They could not give us a satisfactory answer. Lah. And then they say that God knows everything. God knows the past, the present and the future. And then we think if God knows everything, lah, when he makes somebody, eh, he knows in the future this person will go to heaven or hell. If he sees this person is going to hell, eh, put on hold. Why don't put on hold? He continue to make that person and then he goes to hell forever and ever. So all these doubts eh, made me leave the Catholic religion. Eh, because at one time I thought I was going to baptize or so. So... After that, I went to the University of Malaya, studied engineering, 1967 until 1991. And then I graduated and I worked in the public works department as an electrical engineer. Shortly after graduating, I saw my friends one by one getting married, usually pairing off with another university student. But somehow I had the feeling uh, that was not the way I wanted to go. I had a feeling there was a motive in my life. I was looking for something. I didn't know what it was. So in my last year in the university, I had a friend uh, who was very interested, a Chinese Malaysian, very interested in Hinduism. So he influenced me. Uh, I also got interested in Hinduism. So when I started work, after a few months from Kuala Lumpur, I was posted to Johor Bahru to look after the new section, starting an electrical section in Johor State. So I used to write to India, write to America for these Hindu books, Ramakrishna Amat, Self-Realization Fellowship in California and all that. I started to learn meditation on my own. And I was very inspired uh, by some of these Hindu yogis. Uh, they were so sincere and they strove so hard. Uh, some of them had psychic powers. And some of them had this, this, uh, some of these qualities from the past, like, like Ramakrishna. Ramakrishna, as a small boy, uh, one day was walking the fields. Uh, I looked at the sky. And the sky was so blue and so beautiful and so white. When he stared at the sky, his mind opened up like the sky. He came, he, he became, he, he entered that absorption state, his whole body fell down. So in India, there are many sincere yogis who in the past life already cultivated many lifetimes. So, and then... After about three years in Johor, I was posted back to Kuala Lumpur, worked in the main public works department, workshop, and then after that, I was sent to the general hospital 
to take care of the engineering department for less than a year. Then I was promoted to Kwantan, in charge of the electrical and mechanical maintenance of a very large military base in Kwantan, about 10 kilometers from Kwantan town. Then uh, it was there that things started to happen for me. Because uh, being in charge of the electrical and mechanical installations in that military camp, those military people, they often wanted the help of the public works department, so they were very nice to me. Uh, by the way, that was a senior engineer's post, so I was promoted after four years of working to a super-scale post. Many people work in the government service all their life, also never get promoted to a super-scale post. But my karma was so good, after four years I got promoted. And uh, that base was so big, it has a, a air force, under a colonel, there's a brigade under a general, it has a recce unit, three units. Recce unit was under a colonel. And, and so they invited me to stay in the army officers' mess. I stayed with the army officers, they gave me a room. And uh, I ate with the army officers in the army style. Always there's a bad man standing beside. You eat already, and you put your fork and spoon together, they come and take your plate away and serve you coffee and all this. And then in the evening, we'll drink beer. So, mixing so much with these army officers, it was days of wine, women, and song. So, after half a year, doing a bit of a wildlife, I started to have dreams about ghosts every night. Every night I dream of ghosts. I asked myself why. Every night I dream of ghosts. And I, when I started thinking, I thought I must, when I was young, I was very into religion. Now I already left religion for some time. So I thought there must be a spiritual vacuum inside. So I started on a spiritual search. I went back to studying Hinduism, studied the Bible again, studied Sikhism, studied Baha'i religion, studied the Tao Te Ching, all the major religions of the world I studied. But when I wanted to find a Buddhist book, I could not find. Then one day, I went back to Kuala Lumpur for a engineers meeting uh, at the public works department headquarters. Then I passed in PGA, I passed uh, Taiwan. Then I looked at the Taiwan, there had a lot of trees. Uh, unlike our Chinese temples, it's all concrete. But the Taiwan had a lot of trees, so I thought it was quite beautiful. So I drove inside. I walked up into the hall, uh, the main shrine hall. I saw a big Buddha statue there. That time I was not a Buddhist. Uh, mentally, I spoke to that big statue. I say, you are supposed to, a holy, to be a holy man. Why don't you show me your books? I've been looking for your books. I cannot find. Three days later, my nephew, who comes from a very staunch Catholic family, brought me a Buddhist book. So after reading the book, I found it was very logical, not like other religions. Other religions just ask you to believe. And so I don't ask too many questions. 
So I went to the Sri Lankan temple where the book came from in Kuala Lumpur and got other books. And then even went to the University of Malaya at that time. They still had Buddhist books. I went to take the Buddhist books and study. I found it very hard to understand, but I continued studying. Then the basic concepts, I slowly began to understand, like impermanence. Everything in the world is impermanent. And because of impermanence, everything must change. But there are certain things that give us happiness in the world. That also has to leave us because of change. There's a coming together, there's a parting. So, and also anatta, non-self, etc. That there are destinations of rebirth that are painful, woeful pains of rebirth. That you can be reborn, not only as a deva or devi, but also as a ghost, as an animal and even go to hell, which was all very frightening. And then I started studying, things started to happen for me, conditions were right. One by one I saw people dying in my office, I had a lot of Malay workers, one had cancer, and then he went for radiation. Over the months I became thinner and thinner and thinner and died. Another one, just bought a motor, motorcycle. The next morning, he used the motorcycle to go to the mosque to pray. After praying, uh, he was going back to his house for breakfast uh, before coming to the office. Uh, on the main road, he got hit by a lorry uh, and dragged. So it was all scraped up. When I came to the office at 8 o'clock, I heard that this man had died. And the, hospital, the cops were already in the mortuary in the general hospital. So I got a few office mates and we drove to the hospital, to the mortuary. You know, Muslims, uh, Malays, uh, when they see their dead relative, they're not allowed to cry. You know? But when they brought the grandmother, the grandmother saw the grandson all scraped up like that. And she shouted so loud, choo-choo, choo-choo, and cried. So that was really something that, that uh, moved you. So there was a second one. Third one was uh, because that big military camp has a large uh, sewerage treatment plant. Asked the men to work on servicing the motors. So I was walking around looking. And uh, I saw one worker went to a corner, squatting in the corner. I thought it looked like he's not well, so I left him alone. After half an hour, I saw he was still squatting there. After 40 or 45 minutes, I still saw he was still squatting there. I went to ask him, what's wrong with you? He was clutching his heart. He said, suck it, Tuan, suck it. Cold sweat. So I knew he had a heart attack. I asked him, can you walk? He said, can. He said, go into that room. I'm going to lie down. So he went to the room and lie down. I phoned the army captain, asked the army captain to come. Fifteen minutes later, he came, examined the man, and he said, heart attack. He said, must call an ambulance. So he phoned for the ambulance. Took another half an hour for the ambulance to come. So this man had laid, laid down about 45 minutes. He was feeling better. Ambulance came, brought him to the general hospital 10 kilometers away. And then so happened the man inside the ambulance, uh, another Malay man, knows him, 
So they started to check. And because he was feeling better, I sat up to talk with this man. When you sit up, uh, your heart got to pump up and pump down. Uh, when he reached the hospital, another attack, uh, he died. So after he died, uh, he was staying in the government quarters. Uh, so we had to ask the family to leave. Uh, out of compassion, uh, we let the wife stay another three months. And after that, they have to leave. Uh, then the kampung people built a wooden house for the family. Uh, and she had to sell kueh, sell dumplings and all that kueh to, to survive. So it was another sad case. So that was the third one. Fourth one, one day I asked the men to change the runway bulbs, runway lights. Because this military camp has a runway. It was used by military planes as well as civilian planes. Even up to today, I think. <coughs> So they were changing the bulbs on the runway and I was walking up and down. And there was a big day coming up. So the jets, at that time they were training. At that time they were using turbine jets. So the jets would come down, come to the VIP stand. And pass the VIP, as they come towards the VIP stand, they come low and they flip their wing. And then go vertically up. It's like salute. So they come, flip their wings and go up. So I was walking up and down, I was observing. Then one plane came down, and he flipped his wings, uh, hit the ground, and somersaulted and burst into flames. When I saw, I got a shock. I thought, is this real or imaginary? It looks like a TV show. So we all stared, and then somebody shouted, it can explode any time. So we will all lay on the ground and watch. And then the plane was burning and you see, you have a very disturbed feeling. You know, somebody is burning inside there and needs your help. You want to go and help, but you dare not go because it can explode anytime. Then after a while, the fire, fire truck came and put out the fire. Later, we learned there were two pilots inside there. As he somersaulted, one was beheaded. Another one was burned to death. So this was the fourth one I saw. Over these years, when I was in the, working in the Kwantan. The fifth one, one day I was driving to Kuala Lumpur for an engineer's meeting. Around Mentakap there, the road was winding and going up the hill. I was trying to overtake a long trailer, a long lorry. Very difficult to overtake because the road was winding. I kept following very close, uh, looking for an opportunity to overtake him. Suddenly, around the bend, uh, I saw a motorcycle come from the other direction. And there happened to be a rock on the road. The motorcycle hit the rock, uh, fell in front of the lorry. The lorry hit him directly. I saw him fall down. I stopped the car. I ran towards him and thought I to help him. The concussion was so great, nah, the helmet fell off. Not only that, nah, knocked him so hard. Nah, the top of his head here opened up like a tin can. I could see the brain, nah, the white brain. And the white brain very quickly turned red. And then the blood started to flow out. Nah, and he was twitching, nah, twitching the whole body, twitching like a dying rat like that. Nah. Mm. So I just stood there and did some chanting for him. Nah. I was so intent on chanting, I forgot about the lorry. The lorry man came down uh, and then walked towards me. And then when he saw, he got a shock. He said, not his fault and all that. I said, I understand. 
Then he went off and he drove off. Then only I realized I forgot to take his number. <laughs> so he went off. Then I kept chanting and at that time, uh, East Coast, uh, no, very few cars, no other car came. So until this fellow died, then I went off to make a police report at the next town. And the police don't, didn't seem very excited. I think this must have happened maybe several times. They asked me to make a report. I made a report and then I went off. They never asked me for, they asked me to, to see them again. So you see, these five deaths made me see the Buddha's teaching is so true. Life is so uncertain. You think you are old only, you can die. Huh? For sure, you know. In the middle of the life and you are enjoying life, huh? suddenly you are called to go. So, so from there, huh? I got more and more into Buddhism. Huh? And then, I started to form the intention to become a monk. After you learn the Dhamma, then you find uh, the best profession is to be a monk or a nun. <laughs> then I slowly dawned on me, uh, this was what I was looking for uh, when I was young. I thought I had a motive and objective. Uh, this was what I, I was looking for. A lot to do in my past life. Uh. So, I thought, uh, if I want to become a monk, uh, uh, to start practicing. So I started to become a vegetarian as a layman. So I started vegetarian practice. By that time, you know, uh, being ignorant uh, about the supplements and all that, uh, when I go with my colleagues for lunch, uh, I just order cha tiao, uh, which is just kui tiao plus the tau gai, nothing else. So eating like that, uh, not enough nutrition, my hair started to fall. I started to fall. My mother got very worried. <laughs> then, uh, mm, I thought, uh, if I, my parents are much older, that were much older than me, uh, if I want to become a monk, uh, I have to leave something for them. Uh. So I took a government loan uh, and bought a house. Uh. Government loan is normally repayable in 15 years. Uh. And one day I told, uh, I told my parents, uh, I wanted, I had this intention to become a monk. My father got a shock. La. He said, people got no job, ah, no money, ah, bankrupt already. Ah, no other way only thing of becoming a monk. You got a good job. <laughs> you got a good job. Why you want to become a monk? His eyes turned red, you know. So I knew he couldn't understand. Ah, so I never mentioned to him again. Ah. And I told my mother, my mother said, wait, ah, wait until I go. And then I thought her mother lived up to a hundred years old, you know. <laughs> wait for her to go, huh? Wow, at that time, huh, my heart also lingling. <laughs> no more interest. <laughs> but then every six months I remind her. So I wanted to go to America because I was, uh, at that time, there was one Mahayana monk, a Chinese monk in America supposed to be very strict. La. And then his disciples all put out tan. Put out tan is they never lie down to sleep, you know. They sleep sitting up. La. So I started to practice sitting up la, as a layman. Very difficult, you know. <laughs> you try to sit, sleep. La. 
like that. Nah. After a while, you fall one side. I say, after a while, you fall the other side. Sometimes you fall forward. That's not so bad. Nah. The worst is you fall backwards. Nah. When you fall backwards, then you wake up <laughs> like a like heart attack. Nah. <laughs> so this happened quite a number of times. Nah. So after that, nah, what I do? I go against the wall. Nah. I go sit. <laughs> and then I sit until I fall asleep and knock my head. <laughs> Then again, sideways, sideways. Then, uh, then what I do? I put two chairs uh, and one plank in between. I put my hands on the on the plank and sleep. But sleeping that way uh, is very uncomfortable because your stomach uh, is so cramped like that. The most uh, two hours uh, you get up already, so you don't really have a good sleep. So one day I was driving to work, you know, driving to. 10 kilometers the road. On the road, I fell asleep, no. Fell asleep, and the car coming, the, and my, my car veered to the other side of the road. And the car coming from the opposite direction was horning, horning, horning. And then I woke up. Then I saw the car quickly surf to one side. Nearly had an accident. Mm. So, finally, yeah. You'll be able to sleep when you're too tired. When you're too tired, I sit any position or so you fall asleep. <laughs> but it takes a lot of determination. So, after five years in Kwantan, I was posted back to PWD headquarters in 1980. Just before that, my father passed away. So I saw more dukkha. Then, at the end of 1982, uh, I thought uh, I was ready to become a monk uh, because uh, that 15-year loan uh, I paid up in four and a half years. Uh, the people were very surprised, uh, the financial people. People want to take longer to repay the loan uh, instead uh, of 15 years, I pay in four and a half years. So just before I wanted to resign, uh, I got another letter huh, of promotion. <laughs> Want to promote me again, you know. <laughs> so I thought this must be Satan's trick, huh, trying to stop me from becoming a monk. <laughs> so I went to see the big boss. Huh. I said, I don't want, don't want the promotion. He, he, he was surprised. Huh. People fight for promotion. Huh. Yeah, I'm given a promotion. Huh. I don't want. So after that, I put in my paper huh, and uh, resigned. Huh. The end of 1982, I went to America, stayed in this Mayana temple. That Mayana temple uh, is a very difficult place to stay. Uh. There was uh, two or three other people who, want, who went with me, uh, also intending to become a monk. After one month, they all left, uh, except me. Why? Uh, because uh, you start the day, about three o'clock, you get up. And then uh, between three and seven, uh, you do one hour of chanting, one hour of meditation, one hour of Pai Cham, bowing repentance. He recite Namo, the, 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 the Buddha's name, and then you bow, and then he come up again, and then you bow. So, one hour. So, after that, about 
seven o'clock. Uh, if you want to take a bath, at that time you take a bath. Uh, then, then taking a bath is another cultural shock because uh, we are used to taking a bath in the bathroom, you know. You go into America, uh, GI style. Uh, no room, uh, all naked, uh, bathed together. Very susar, uh, we're not used to it. <laughs> And then, uh, so uh, seven o'clock, uh, we start work uh, on empty stomach. No, no breakfast, never mind. No coffee or so, no tea. Drink water only, then go and work. And very tough work uh, because that monastery uh, is an old mental asylum, abandoned mental asylum, two hundred and seventy-three acres, uh, hardly ten, ten, ten men, about twenty women. And men have to do all the hard work, carry the Buddha statue from Taiwan, uh, dig hole to plant uh, plant trees, uh, plant apple, plant orange, plant bamboo shoot, and all these things. Uh. So, a lot of hard work. Then by 10.30, I uh, have to go and ring the bell and do chanting. Then at 11 o'clock, we eat, eat up to 12. After eating, uh, you want to take a rest, cannot, cannot go and lie down, let's go and work again, mm. go and brush your teeth, by one o'clock, let's go and work again, again, do all this tough work, until about, about five o'clock, then we come back and do chanting one hour again, meditation a while, and then buying repentance, and then about eight, eight o'clock, Listen to Dharma talk. Listen to Dharma talk. Uh, all the men uh, will be going to them, have a sleep. <laughs> and then this, some of these Americans, uh, they are very cholol, uh, very... The words is very coarse. Uh, they are very blunt. Uh. I, get, I, got, I used to get scolding every day. Uh. Small, small things. Uh. We Asians, uh, you want to tell somebody off or so pine they know uh, straight away, hantam you. And then, uh, there's one British monk, uh, he was so sleepy, he was going like that. This American monk uh, took off his, his shoe, uh, the, the monk shoe, uh, knocked him on the head. <laughs> he, not used uh, to see how to say. And then, uh, the master, uh, and I read his books, uh, he's like a holy man, but I went to stay with him, uh, very different man, every day shouting, ego very big, temper very big, a lot of shameful things to say, like, and not say. So, because of his attitude, uh, he get senior monks to spy on the younger monks and all that, uh. so it's very stressful. So stressful. Uh. One of the Vietnamese uh, novice monks, there were three of us novice monks, the other two were Vietnamese. One of them uh, committed suicide, uh, hang himself. But all this you don't hear. They stay there and you know. So at the end of it, I got disappointed. Uh. I left. And then I uh, came back to Malaysia. Oh. By the way, when I went there, I was 120 pounds. After, after one year, I was 96 pounds because we were eating one meal. 
and vegetarian meal. And that vegetarian meal also, because they don't go for Armstrong, uh, they go to the supermarket. Uh, those uh, old vegetables uh, that the supermarket doesn't want, they bring back old cheese, old butter, all this uh, expired one. Uh, they eat all that. Uh. So, at the end of 1985, I came back to Malaysia. Then I had a lot of doubts about Mahayana. I thought, now, how can my teacher, after becoming a monk for 30 over years, uh, he's this type of person. So I had uh, doubts about Mahayana teaching. I wanted to go to Thailand, but I didn't know where to go. The only monks I knew uh, were Mahayana monks. So I was not willing to go back to lay life. Some people uh, in my position uh, would have lost faith in Buddhism, gone back to lay life. But I wanted to be continuous monk. So I went to this Mahayana monk in Penang, whom I knew, in Hong Fu Si, and I went to see him. At that time, uh, Keloxi Temple, uh, they were having the higher ordination, end of 1985. So this Mayana monk, he likes me, like me, so he asked me to stay with him and ordain. So I stayed with him and then I took the higher ordination, Mahayana ordination in Pilau Si Temple, 1985. After staying a few months, I saw that the practice of a Mahayana temple is not like the Buddha's time, very different from the Buddha's time. Buddha's time, monks will go into the forest, meditate alone, back for their food and all this, uh, which Mahayana monks don't do. Mahayana monks, the, the practice is eating vegetarian food, chanting, um, doing work in the monastery. So, very different. Uh. So, I wanted to go to Thailand. Uh. Then, uh, after a few months, uh, in, I think around March 1986, I went to Thailand. Thailand, at first I went to a famous monk, uh, at that time, Achan Yantra, he was so famous, a few hundred monks will come to his monastery, stay for a few days, after that they go off. After a while, another batch of a few hundred monks will come. So I was not happy, I wanted to go off. Then he knew, I, he also liked me, he knew I, I, I wanted to practice. He asked me, you want to stay alone? I said, yes. There's a new kuti at the edge of the monastery, at the forest there. So you can go and stay there. I went to stay there. That night, a tiger came. <laughs> it was only a wooden kuti, you know. Wooden kuti and the tiger walked around growling. It was just near his place of residence. I was thinking, wow, well, if he push the door, the door will fall down. <laughs> and then after that, he left. So, after that, I went to look for a Teochew monk uh, who stayed in Malaysia, Ipoh, 25 years in a, in a cave monastery. I knew him before, uh, so I went to look for him. And I stayed in his cave monastery. His cave monastery was quite special. Uh. It's a hill. Uh, you have to walk halfway up the hill, about 100 feet. Uh, and there's an opening. Uh, and then you walk down to the middle, at the bottom of the hill. Uh, it's a dark cave. Uh. The only light uh, comes from the top. Uh, there's an opening. Uh, only from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. Uh, there's some light coming in. Mm. 
But I was told uh, they'll be careful because it's a limestone limestone cave. Uh, there's a lot of holes, you know. There's a lot of holes. And because there's a lot of holes, uh, there's a lot of pythons. So they told me they have seen pythons as big as your thigh. So I stayed there. And um, those Teochew monks, uh, they take breakfast and they take... Uh, lunch. But at that time, I had already been practicing one meal a day for three years, so I wanted to continue one meal a day. And then I was taking vegetarian food. But every day at 4, 4 p.m., these Teochew monks would drink tea. And that tea is in small cups and very thick. So when I joined them, I got gastric problem. <laughs> Developed gastric problem. For years, up to now, only thing I have to control. If I take fruit juice, if I take chili, uh, it'll come up again. Uh. Then one night, I was sleeping in the, in the, in, in the dark cave. Uh. There was a passageway. Uh. Passageway is not very big. Uh. So I was sleeping on the bed, uh, wooden bed, something like this. Uh. Uh. And the walk, the walking space, uh, only about two, three feet, uh, like that. Uh. About 3 a.m., a python came back, you know. And then you hear the sound of the python, you know it's a huge fellow. Why? Because it's dragged his body and stopped. Maybe I just eaten a goat or a dog. Drag the body and stop. Normally a snake I will just go silently like that. This one was so heavy that he has to drag his body and stop. Drag the body and stop. I pretend I didn't see it. <laughs> These big snakes, uh, you cannot use a torchlight. You use your torchlight, uh, they come up. They're not afraid of you. So just keep quiet. Just when, by the side, when into some deep hole. So that's quite an interesting uh, cave. Uh. So I stayed there for a few months. Uh. Then I went to Wat Pananachat. That's the place, uh, Ajahn Chah's branch monastery, uh, where most of the monks are Western monks. Uh. At that time, Ajahn Pasano was the abbot. Uh. So I spent the Vasa there. After spending the Vasa there, at the end, uh, after the Vasa, I went back to the cave monastery. Uh. Then the old Teochew monk there, uh, he organized for me uh, to go to Dong. To Dong is Long Pa. Uh, wondering, wondering, uh, um, just walking anywhere and beg for your food and sleep in the forest or sleep in the cemetery. So from there, from Ratburi, we walk down to the border, Padang Besar, the Malaysian border. Mm. So, uh, then, uh, that was 1986, uh, and because I want to say something about uh, Wat Panarachat. When I went to Wat Panarachat and stayed with them, uh, I found the lifestyle uh, is in a, in a forest monastery in Thailand. Uh, it's very different from Mahayana temples. Uh, every morning, uh, about 5.30 or 6 a.m., uh, it's already bright. Uh, we go on arms round. We walk uh, two or three kilometers, uh, pick for our food. Uh. And uh, Thai people there, they are very respectful. If the monastery nearby 
keeps the vinaya, keeps the precepts, uh, then they are very respectful. Sometimes you are walking, uh, the villager is going on his bicycle. Uh. If he comes from the opposite direction, uh, he will uh, get down from the from the from the bicycle. Uh. He will hold the bicycle, uh, put down his head, wait for you to walk by. After you walk past, uh, then only uh, he goes up on his bicycle and goes again. If he's a woman, uh, he will put the bicycle on the ground, uh, squat on the floor, uh, Anjali, put the hands together, wait for you to walk by. Uh, then only she'll go on the bicycle again. If they come from behind you, uh, they dare not overtake you. Uh. They go very slowly. <laughs> so they are very respectful because the monks keep the Vinaya. So there, after Pindapata, we come back, then do a bit of sweeping the footpaths, uh, then 8 o'clock eat, one meal only. But it's a solid meal uh, because uh, whatever we get, uh, we we eat. Uh, so it's not vegetarian food. Uh, so at least one good solid meal. Uh, and then uh, a lot of the time, the daytime uh, is left to the monk to do whatever you want. So our time uh, is spent reciting, uh, like what you did, the chanting. Uh, a lot of the Pali chants, I uh, have to recite, memorize. Uh, and you can study, they have a very good library. Uh, you can study the uh, discourses of the Buddha and all that, and other Buddhist books. Uh. And then uh, evening, we come together for some work. Uh some work, uh, like some trees, big trees fall down, we saw the tree, uh, keep the wood uh, to use as firewood because they, 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 they want the firewood because they boil the water uh, to wash their ropes uh, every two weeks, uh, dye their ropes. Uh. So it's a different lifestyle altogether uh, from Mayan uh, monasteries. Uh. But you feel happy because it's something close to what the Buddha's time they were practicing. So, then in Thailand, I, when I wanted to go to Dong, this wandering, then you learn you have to give up, give up vegetarianism. I was a vegetarian for about 10 years because I was in Mahayana Buddhism for 9 years, 6 years as a layman and three years as a novice monk plus a monk. Uh, so when I went to Dong, wandering, becoming a wandering monk, uh, I find I have to give up vegetarian because you know why? Some of the people are so poor. Uh, you go and bake the whole morning. Uh, you only get white rice and one hard-boiled egg. Where, where you can choose, you cannot choose. Sometimes you get white rice and one small fried fish. That's all. Mm. But you live that type of life uh, because your, your, your intention is very pure, your precept is pure. Uh. You seldom fall sick. Uh. You eat little also, you don't feel weak uh, because you are inspired. Uh. Then, because of visa problem, uh, after one year I came back to Malaysia early 1987. <clears throat> so I thought I want to continue to practice uh, like a monk during the Buddha's time. Uh. So I went to Ipoh to look for a cave to stay. Uh. 
But all the good caves are taken up. Taken up by fortune teller. <laughs> taken up by other people. So the devotees found for me a, a dark cave. <laughs> Very dark cave. Quite a huge cave. Quite a big cave. Bigger than this. It seems during the Second World War, 200 young women went to hide there. They are afraid of being raped by the Japanese soldiers. So there's a bats. Bats living up there. And then, so at first, uh, I saw the cave was so dark, uh, then I go in to stay, uh, because caves, uh, as I know, uh, got python and all that. Uh. So to enter this cave, uh, you have to crouch low, uh, because the entrance is quite low, crouch, and then you go inside. But the other end uh, is an is a opening, uh, uh, brighter. Uh. So I went to the other end to sleep, uh, on a ledge, uh, on a rock ledge. But then I found... Uh, uh, it's not so good because uh, in the afternoon it gets hot. And then you, you, when you sleep out there, uh, you meditate, you can hear the sound of traffic. Uh, it's a bit hot. The advantage of a cave, uh, staying in a cave, uh, firstly, it cuts off the outside noise. Uh, it's very quiet. The other thing is, inside the cave is cool. Day and night is cool. So... I stayed two nights there. And the second night, uh, I had a strange dream. I dreamt uh, that this this cave where I was staying uh, is at the bottom of a hill. And this hill, uh, there, are, there are four devas. Uh, they came to see me. Uh, they saw me sleeping there. Uh, they came to see me. So the leader was seated on a chair. The others uh, were standing around him. When I looked at them, uh, they looked quite awesome. Uh. Like an Indian diva like that, no. no. And because they were staring at me, uh, then I looked at myself, uh, hey, I also look like a diva, uh, in the Indian diva dress, you know. And then I woke up. And then I realized uh, they wanted to tell me uh, that they accept me as a member. <laughs> <laughs> so if I stay in the dark cave, uh, no harm will come to me, you uh. So I went inside the dark cave and stayed. Uh, and then in the morning, I go on Armstrong and I go to that village. Perak State, uh, that state uh, I was staying, uh, they are not used to wandering monks. Uh. It's not like Penang or Kedah or Kelantan. They're used to Thai monks coming uh, and begging for food. There, they never seen a monk begging for food. So when I went to the marketplace beg for food, uh, they all stared at me like a monkey. <laughs> And nobody knows how to give me food. So I thought if I keep walking, uh, nobody's going to give me food. So I have to make my skin thick. Uh, and to stand in front of a stall. I thought I won't go away uh, until she came. <laughs> that lady also don't know how to give me. Then the customer told her, Hey, hey, oiti kokoi, peiti kokoi. Then she gave me some kueh. I went to the second stall. The second stall saw the first stall do. She also gave me the kui. Third stall also gave me the kui. <laughs> then the first lady yeah, came running. I wanted to give me two ringgit. I said, we don't accept money. Yeah. And she was surprised. How come monk don't accept money? Yeah. Then I walked. I walked slowly. Yeah. Past the me stall, they don't give me. Past the rice stall, they don't give me. Because they think monks are vegetarians. So that day, I went back to the cave. I ate kui. <laughs> Second, second, second day I came, uh, 
also had to eat kuih. <laughs> Third day, I also eat kuih. Fourth day, I also ten days, I had to eat kuih, you know. And then, they, 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 they heard there's a monk staying there. So, they thought I was a Thai monk. So, they came to visit me. Lah. So, I explained to them, I said, we Theravada monks who bake for the food, we are not vegetarian. Next day, I got nasi lemak. <laughs> so, you see, the Buddha is so wise. Huh? The Buddha said, nah, you must not, a monk cannot choose your food. If you choose your food, nah, you cannot survive. Huh? <laughs> then, uh, after four months in that cave, huh, I went to Penang because there was a monk who heard that I was in that cave. And then uh, he asked me to go to Penang. He said, go and uh, to that meditation center in Penang. So I went there. Uh. I went there. Uh, I saw them practicing Vipassana meditation. But I had been practicing Anapanasati because of Hinduism. Uh. They call Pranayama, uh, which is basically the same thing. So when they learned that I don't want to practice Vipassana, I was, I was only practicing Anapanasati, and they kicked me out of the meditation center. Narrow-minded. I guess even if the Buddha came also, they kick him out. Because not practicing Vipassana. So after that, I wanted to go to another Theravada monastery. He also practicing Vipassana. That monk also refused to allow me to stay. So I made some inquiries. I heard there's a cave uh, on Penang Hill, 400 feet up. Consists of two, two rocks. Uh, two rocks, one resting on the other. So it was started by another monk. So I, I asked permission. I stayed there. So that's quite interesting. The first night, uh, I went to the corner of the cave, uh, which was quite dark, uh, to light an oil lamp. When I lighted the oil lamp, uh, a being, uh, light, uh, light flew out. A uh. uh, being probably has been staying there for some time. Uh, nobody staying there. Uh. So when I came to stay, uh, it flew out. Then at night when I was sleeping, uh, the first night, uh, I was just about to fall asleep. Uh. Body already weak already. Mind also about to doze off already. Uh. Somebody came and pulled my ear. Then I woke up. Then I told the being, I said, don't disturb me, lah, please. I didn't come to take your place. Huh? Uh, you can stay, lah, but you allow me to stay also. Uh, don't disturb me. Uh, whatever merit, I transfer to you. Huh? Uh, then I fell asleep and didn't disturb me. Next day, when I was about to fall asleep, huh, come and pull my ear, nose. <laughs> Again, I told him, don't, please don't disturb me. Nah, don't work, nah. But I was not afraid. Nah. I see if your karma is good, nah, you got nothing, you have, you have no, nothing to be ashamed of, nothing, no fault. Nah. You're not afraid. <laughs> Again, the next day, yeah, same thing happened. Next night, nah, same thing happened. After four or five nights, uh, my temper key lie down. And uh, came to disturb me again, I gave him one punch. <laughs> After that, never disturbed me anymore. I think I'm one of these elves, nah. Lord of the Rings elf. <laughs> so he must be staying there, eh? alone for a long time. Eh? Suddenly, eh? somebody come, eh? he's not happy. So, 
that was the cave. The, that cave, I stayed three months. Then after that, the monk wanted it back. Then I went to Bali Pulau, the other side of Penang, uh, up on the hill. Uh. At first, I stayed in one place uh, because I didn't know any other place. Very high. Uh. So high, uh, I walked down to the town for Bindapata and walked back uh, three hours. And three hours on an empty stomach, uh, it's very tiring, you know. You wake up, nothing to eat. And then you walk three hours like that. Uh, very tiring. So after two weeks, uh, the people saw me. Uh, they recommended me another place, uh, not so high. Uh. You walk only half an hour up the hill. So I stayed there for one year. Then 1989, I decided to go to Thailand again. So I went to Thailand. Also, part of the time, uh, I stayed four months in Wat Pananachat and some other months uh, in that in that cave uh, with the Teochew monks. When I was in Wat Pananachat, I had two interesting experiences. Uh. One was I uh, followed Achan Pasano to the Burmese border, very near the Burmese border, uh, it's very wild, a lot of uh, forests. When we went there, the people there were very happy. They said, no monk has come here for eight years because it's so Ulu and the place, is the, the people are so poor, you know. So you don't expect to get good food. First, when we, when you, when we first arrived there, they asked us to go to the cemetery to do some chanting. So we went there, did some chanting. Then we asked them, who is this? He's just died. I said, oh, this 24-year-old, 24-years-old young man. We asked him, died of what? Malaria. That one, 30-years-old young man, died of malaria. Very, very serious there. So what do I do? I drink urine. I drink urine is an antidote for a lot of sickness. It's taught by the Buddha. So, there are some monks who didn't drink urine. They, they got it. They got malaria. Then after that, they, were, they could not stay anymore to bring, bring them out. So, uh, then when I stayed there, uh, we, we had to disperse. After we arrived there, we should go in different directions. Go far away so that you can't hear the other friend. You can't call for the other friend. We wanted to experience staying alone. At night, you can hear the sound of tiger and all that. Next, next morning when I woke up, I saw there's a deep hole near where I was sleeping because we arrived in the evening. Quickly had to find a place to, to sleep. Then I looked closely. It's a grave. The grave sunk in. Then some other monk late, because every morning we come together, we come to we meet in a certain place and we go for arms round, beg for our food. So at first, the uh, one one monk said, uh, he, he put his plastic sheet and put up his mosquito net. When he slept at night, uh, all the ants came to bite him. He didn't know uh, he, he was sleeping over an uh, hole. So... And then sometimes when you're sleeping, if you don't put your 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 mosquito net uh, under the plastic sheet, uh, sometimes the snake will come in. Uh, so you have to be very careful. Mm. So we meet and then we went on Armstrong. The people saw us uh, very happy, you know. Many of them came out to give us food. By the third day, uh, 
Some of them, they are not come out already because they are so poor. Huh? They got nothing to give you. And some, they come out, they just give you white rice only. And some, they are, they are so poor, huh? they just give us water. But they give us water also, we are thankful. You know why? Because it's boiled water. Normally, yeah, they keep the water in the urn, uh, clay urn, keep for months, you know. And then, uh, when you when they scoop the water for you, you take back the water in your water bottle, and you pour out, you want to drink, uh, eh, mosquito lava. <laughs> so you cannot drink. Uh. So if they boil for us the water, uh, we are very happy, uh, no mosquito lava. So, so we stayed there, I think one or two months. Uh. It's quite a good experience. Ah, the other interesting thing is, uh, during that time, uh, sometimes uh, it's going to rain. Uh. We know it's going to rain because the wind starts blowing. The sky starts becoming dark. What do we do? Our ropes, uh, we are afraid, will get wet. Uh. We put in a plastic bag, uh, tie it up uh, so you won't get wet. Uh. Then we have to hold an umbrella. Uh. So if it rains for two hours, we have to hold the umbrella for two hours. But standing, holding is very tiring. Uh. So what we do? We find a log, a uh, big tree uh, fallen. Uh. We squat on the log, uh, holding the umbrella like a bird. <laughs> like a bird on the branch. <laughs> One or two hours, never mind. Too long or two hours, you fall asleep. <laughs> so there was uh, another another interesting thing in 1989. Uh, I went with another monk uh, to a, play, a province called Mukdahan near Laos border. Northeast Thailand, uh, the people are very poor because in one year, about Four months or so, uh, no, not a drop of rain. Man. So uh, they quite difficult uh, to find a livelihood. During th- that time, uh, they will go, they will go in a van, uh, go to the forest, look for food, uh, look for bamboo shoots and all that, and share. Mm. So we went to live on the hill uh, that they built a few kutis uh, for wandering monks to stay. Uh. So when we go on arms round, uh, we come back, uh, uh, the people follow us uh, because they are so poor, they want to take over, take back the leftover food, you know. So they open the, the plastic uh, containing the, the food that is offered uh, and then they pour it out into a bowl uh, then offer it to us. You know what we get? After you see the bowl uh, with toad uh, floating there. Frog, uh, frog, the rough, rough skin type of frog, uh, the toad, uh, floating like that. <laughs> and sometimes, uh, I don't know whether it's a rat or a snake, uh, one big eye there in the soup, uh, with some broken flesh. Uh, and then a beetle, uh, fried beetle, you know, fried beetle. <laughs> fried beetle, not too bad, uh, tastes like kacang. <laughs> But the frog, man, so long I did not eat. Nah. I was <laughs> then I thought to myself one day, yeah, I come so far. Nah. This is a once in a lifetime experience. If I don't eat that frog, nah, I regret it. So I closed my eyes and swallowed one frog. <laughs> <laughs> At that time, I really wanted to be a vegetarian, nah. but with 
want you want to eat fruits also, no fruits. Uh, very small banana and not enough also. Mm. So sometimes they say uh, monks eat meat because they are greedy. Uh, you eat this type of meat, you see whether you are greedy or not. <laughs> I stayed there three weeks. Uh. After that, I went, went back to the Teochew monks. Uh. They say I was so thin, uh, I could, they could hardly recognize me. <laughs> because eating one meal a day is suffering. Uh. Every day when it comes to lunchtime, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a torture to eat. So, at the end of 1989, uh, also because of visa problem, I came back to Malaysia. And then I heard uh, that the cave on Penang Hill, uh, somebody broke into that cave uh, and burned the ropes, burned the chair. And then after that, that monk didn't want it anymore. I was afraid uh, I become uh, uh, this uh, drug addicts who go and stay there. So he said, any monk can go and stay. Then I went, uh, so I quickly went to stay there. That place is 400 feet below the Aitam market. So every day I walked down arms round, uh, get my food and walk up. Uh. Walking up and down every day, 400 feet, uh, I was very fit, you know. I knocked my backside, uh, all muscle. <laughs> so used to walking 400 feet, uh, no sweat. Uh. I had to walk very fast uh, to get a bit of sweat. So I stayed there from 19, end of 1989 until 1997. But in 1996, I went to Perth. La. I stayed in Achen Brahms Monastery for four months. Uh, I went to Perth because I had I have three sisters in Perth. La. One of them is already a nun in the Perth nunnery. La. The oldest nun uh, is my sister. Mm. So after that, uh, I started this present monastery la, in Tamong. It's called Vihara Buddha Gotama. If you look up the website, uh, type Vihara Buddha Gautama, you will find. Uh, so that uh, our monastery started as a 15-acre monastery. Uh. Initially, uh, there were no uh, fence. Or, so every day you see wild boar. Uh, it's near, uh, near a forest reserve. Every day wild boar would come in. Uh, and then I heard the sound of the tiger three times. Uh. And then 1909, uh, a black panther came into the monastery. The novice monk was going going down to meditate at 4.30, uh, shining the torch. Uh. Beside the road uh, was this black panther crouch. When he shone into his eyes, uh, the black panther ran away. The novice monk also ran away. <laughs> yeah. And then not so long ago, 2015, oh, wild goat came into our monastery. And uh, the dogs beat it, beat it there, went to save it. And then uh, two of us carried the wild goat, it was so heavy. Uh, two of us also had difficulty carrying it. and uh, But it died of shock, too frightened. So our monastery stresses on two things. One is sutta study and of course uh, keeping the precepts. And the other one is uh, meditation. So we have quite a relaxed schedule. 
but um, because to me, uh, the the true dharma is very very important. If nowadays our dharma is very rojak, a lot of mix uh, dharma due to later books. Uh. So the Buddha said uh, that uh, his teachings in the Diga Nikaya, the Buddha said his teachings, his original teachings uh, are perfect and complete. If you think you want to add to his words, uh, you don't understand his Dhamma. If you want to subtract from his words also, you don't understand his Dhamma. So the later books uh, written by later monks, uh, they, they don't have right view. That's why they see a lot of things are uh, different from what the, from what the Buddha taught. So from 1997 until 9, uh, 2015, uh, I have been giving uh, talks on the suttas. I have completed the five nikayas in English. And uh, the, for the Hokkien one, uh, I spoke on four nikayas. I brought the SD card, if any of you interested to listen to these talks uh, which are most important. The Buddha calls his disciples uh, monks and nuns and laymen and laywomen, uh, savaka, senwen. You listen to his words, you are a Buddhist. If you don't listen to the Buddha's original teachings, uh, you are not a Buddhist. There are some people, even monks, you know, during the Buddha's time, like Devadatta, they only want to meditate. Devadatta is one of those monks uh, who are quite arrogant. Uh, he only wants psychic powers, so he's not interested in the Dhamma. So he meditated until he got psychic powers. But after he got psychic powers, uh, his ego became so big. Uh, he wanted to take over the Buddha's place. And the Buddha scolded him. Uh, he got so angry, he wanted to kill the Buddha. Uh. So that's the danger of meditation. If you don't have right view, uh, don't meditate too much. You must get right view first. And that is only by listening to the suttas. So, now that I've been a monk for, you can say, 35 years, 3 years in Mahayana and 32 years in Theravada, uh, for me, uh, life has been a blessing because the Buddha said, a wise person benefits himself and benefits others. A stupid person only wants to benefit himself, selfish. So the Buddha's definition of a wise person and a foolish person is different from the worldly definition. A wise person is one who practices his life according to Dhamma and he will be either reborn only in the human and heavenly realms, and you will never go to the woeful plains, the three woeful plains. So if you don't understand the Dhamma, then you do things that you should not do. And things that you should do, you don't do. Recently I went to Philippines, I was teaching Buddhism to these Christians, Catholics mostly. I asked them, what is the biggest sin? Christians always talk about sin. I asked them, what is the biggest sin? Somebody said, kill somebody. I said, no. And they don't know how to answer. I told them, the biggest sin is ignorance. Don't take the trouble to find out the truth. Each of us, uh, we should ask ourselves, uh, 
Where did we come from? What made us? After we die, where are we going? A lot of people don't ask these questions eh, when you are young. But when you are dying, eh, then you ask these questions. A lot of people, eh, they chase after worldly material wealth, eh, fame and all these things. Then suddenly when they are about to die, eh, then they think, eh, I wanted wealth, I got wealth. I wanted a spouse, I got a spouse. I wanted beautiful children, I got beautiful children. I wanted a big house, I got a big house. I wanted a one or two cars, I got everything I got. Grandchildren also I got. Now I have to go. What's the meaning of all this? You struggle so hard nah, to get all these things, nah, but it's all taken away from you. So, is it worth it? It's not worth it. You must work for those things nah, that you can bring along. Worldly wealth you cannot bring along with you, but spiritual wealth you can bring along. So, you must know what is valuable in life. A lot of people, like recently, who was that? Steve Jobs, is it? Uh, when he was dying also, he said he wanted money, he got so much money, but he said, what's the meaning? So, for somebody like me, yeah. I'm a beggar, you know. The Buddha said, a monk is called a bhikkhu. Bhikkhu, from the word big, big means beg. So the Buddha said, monks, you are called a beggar. The lowest calling in life. But you did not become a beggar because you were forced to become a beggar. Uh, you became a beggar because you chose to become a beggar. Uh, and for a good reason. So materially, as a monk or a nun, we are poor, but spiritually we are not poor. So the happiness we get is a different kind of happiness. It's an inner happiness, not dependent on outside things. If you depend on outside things, in the end you cannot bring along with you, then it's all meaningless. But if you get the happiness within, I can bring with you. It's a lasting happiness. So, at this stage of your life, young people, you must consider carefully what you want to do with your life. Make it a meaningful life. A meaningful life is the one that not only benefits you, but benefits other people. And in the end, you will realize you lived a good life. Christians say, Christians say you fought a good, a good battle, a good fight. Okay. Any question? In the Bible, uh, there is a parable of a rich man. This rich man wanted to go on a long journey, so he gave wealth uh, to three of his workers. He told them to use the wealth well. Then after some time, maybe after a few months or a year, he came back. And then uh, he asked them uh, how they used the money. One returned the money to him said uh, he saved it carefully. Uh, and 
he what he received from his master, he gave back the same amount. The master was not happy with him. Another one, uh, he enjoyed himself uh, using the money, so he had little left to give the master. Master also not happy with him. Another one, he made a lot of money with the with the money uh, that the master gave. And then he returned to the master. The master was happy with him. What was the meaning of this parable? The meaning of this parable uh, is that uh, we come into life uh, as a human being uh, with a certain amount of blessings. And if you are smart, uh, by the time you go off, when you are dying, uh, you have more blessings than now. But most people are not like that. Most people, they don't know the Dhamma. So uh, they live a selfish life. And, you know, as a human being, uh, we are in a happy destination of rebirth. So we eat well, we sleep well. You want to leasing to China, you can. You want to watch internet or TV, whatever you can, videos and all that. Nah? And some of you may have three or four cars in the house. So every day you're using up your blessings, you know. By the time you die, yeah, most people, uh, your blessings is reduced. That is why yeah, most people, when they die, yeah, they are going for rebirth in the ghost realm. You don't have to do any evil. Just live a normal life. Don't do any evil. Still, you will go to the ghost realm. That is why you find when most people are dying, yeah, they are scared. Why? Because two or three days before you die, yeah, another world will start to surface. Your consciousness will change the channel to another dimension. And most of the time, uh, people will see one Hokkien say, Oh, Your departed relatives coming to welcome you to the ghost realm. It's very true. You just observe people who are dying. Uh, you see how many of them are happy. If you see devas and devis coming uh, with a chariot uh, to bring you to heaven, uh, you can smile. Uh. But no, these people see uh, grandma, grandpa coming to bring them to the ghost realm. So they are very frightened. Even worse, uh, one devotee, old devotee told me the auntie uh, has a very nasty character, very bad temper, always cursing relatives because of property division. Uh, she didn't get enough. Two days before she died, uh, the Dracula teeth came out so long. The children got, 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 got scared, could not cover the, the Dracula teeth. Two days later when she died, uh, the Dracula teeth disappeared. How come? Because uh, each one of us, uh, we have a Ling Hun inside. Ling Hun uh, inside, a soul. Uh. Some monks say we don't have a soul because they think a soul is permanent. A soul is not necessarily permanent. A soul in the Oxford Dictionary is defined as a spiritual part of man, often assumed to be permanent, not necessarily permanent. So the Buddhist soul is not permanent. So two or three days before that person dies, uh, this soul uh, is start, start to come out already. That's why uh, this ghost... Uh, because of the character, uh, the woman's character is like a fierce ghost. Uh, so she has turned into a fierce ghost inside. Mm. So it's coming out. Uh, two days later when she died, uh, the soul came out. No more teeth. 
You can't see anymore. But there are some people, even though they don't turn into the fierce ghosts, uh, they turn into the ghosts. Uh, and just one or two days ago, somebody told me in Johor Bahru, the father is about to go. Uh, the face is turning into a ghost face, frightening. One year ago also, one young man, one devotee, told me uh, the mother is dying of cancer. A few days before the mother died, uh, the face also changed. Change to be a ghost face. So you have to be very careful. You are not this flesh body, you know. This flesh body is just a shell. We are the spirit inside. And one day, when your flesh body is too old, you'll have to leave it. So the Buddha said, a wise person is one who lives his life so that by the time he dies, he goes for a good rebirth. A stupid person uh, will live his life very carelessly. Uh, by the time he dies, uh, he will go for a bad reaper. If he does evil, uh, he'll be born either as an animal or in hell. But even if he does not do evil, uh, he will most likely be reborn as a ghost. As a young person, uh, you might find it hard to believe because you have not experienced, you have not seen. But as you grow older, uh, you hear about other people's experience, uh, slowly, slowly, you will know. Any questions? How I came to believe in rebirth? Uh? Ah, okay. There is at least two persons, uh, more than two, uh, who have studied rebirth. One is Professor Ian Stevenson. If you look up the name, uh, Professor Ian Stern, uh, he's a professor in America. When he hears of some somebody uh, who remembers the past life, uh, he will fly uh, to Myanmar or to Thailand or to Sri Lanka, whatever country, uh, and interview that person and find out that some people remember their past life for certain reasons. Uh, and usually it's a compelling reason. I read about one lady in uh, Myanmar. Myanmar being a Buddhist country, uh, like Thailand, uh, they want the son uh, to become a monk, at least a temporary monk uh, for some time. Uh. So this lady, uh, she, her husband uh, was a gambler and uh, she had some money, she saved the money uh, to, for the son to buy ropes, to buy the arms bowl to become a monk, two sons. Uh. She was worried uh, that the husband would take the money and go and gamble it away. So she hid the money. But at the age of 40-something, uh, she suddenly got sick and died. So after she passed away, she was reborn as a, as a girl uh, in another village. And when she started to be able to talk, uh, she kept asking uh, to go back to her home. And her new parents uh, at first found it hard to believe, but she keeps saying and she knows exactly where is the village, her former life. So they brought her back. When she went back to her whole house, she confronted the husband. She said, did you take the money for our son to become a monk? The husband got shocked. Who's this small girl talking to me like my wife? And slowly he understood. He confessed. He took the money, went to gamble it away. 
So you see, because of this compelling reason, she does not want to forget. There's another person, I think, Agaton Baptist. If you go to a Buddhist bookshop, bookshop, uh, you find a book called Rebirth, I think, by Agaton Baptist. Uh, there are many stories. Uh. Like some children, uh, they can speak in a language uh, that their parents don't know. Some children, very young, they can play a musical instrument. Uh, all this got to do with past life. So your question is, Sachan Buddha Dasa, when he talks about rebirth, huh, he's talking about moment-to-moment rebirth. There are two ways of looking at it. Lah. One is uh, uh, the body dying and taking rebirth, huh, the being. Another way is to talk about consciousness. Lah. Consciousness, most people, we think uh, that consciousness is an unending stream. Lah. We think that consciousness starts at birth and then it lasts the whole life uh, until we die and then the consciousness stops. Uh. But the Buddha said it's not like that. Uh. Consciousness arises due to conditions, uh, due to uh, sights, sounds, smells, taste, touch and thoughts. Uh. When an object uh, impinges on your sense organ, uh, then that Consciousness arises, lah. for example, seeing consciousness, hearing consciousness and all that. Lah. Okay? Uh, so, when consciousness arises, uh, it arises with Nama Rupa. And Nama Rupa uh, is the whole world. Lah. Once you are conscious, you are conscious of the whole world. So, we think uh, that we are living, for example, if you at the age of 75, you pass away. So you think uh, that you are living for 75 years. Another way of looking at it uh, is that the moment your consciousness arises, uh, you are alive. The moment it ceases, you are dead. The moment it arises, you are alive. Then it ceases, you are dead. Uh, so there are two ways of looking at it. Okay. Okay, good question. How to get married, nah? blessings? Nah? The Buddha gave a formula, dana sila bhavana. Dana is charity, nah? giving. Nah? Uh, and uh, giving, nah? uh, when you give something, nah? you act, uh, it is expected that you will, you will get a, a vipaka. A return. The Buddha said, if you give to an animal, for example, a bowl of rice, uh, you can expect uh, to get back a hundred bowls of rice. If you give to a person who has no precepts, a person who is not morally virtuous, for example, a dog addict, you give to him, you can expect to get back one thousand times what you gave. If you give to a Morally upright person, a person with precepts, you can expect to get back a hundred thousand times what you gave. If you give to an external sect ascetic who has attained jhana, who has cut his sensual lust, even though he does not have right view, you can get back a hundred thousand times a hundred thousand fold. 
if you give to uh, Arya, a noble person, uh, it's uh, boundless, uh, you get back boundless. Uh, so that is, uh, but the, the highest material giving uh, is giving of a monastery uh, or a dwelling uh, for the Sangha. Because when you give to the Sangha, uh, a dwelling, uh, then you perpetuate the Sangha. The Sangha will continue, no? monks and nuns. And when the Sangha continues, uh, the Dhamma will also continue. Because the, the, the Sangha is the, is the one who, that uh, trans, uh, transmits the Dhamma. Uh. So that is the highest material giving. Uh. But higher than giving uh, is Sila. Sila is uh, upholding the precepts, not harming other living beings. Uh. And the important precepts uh, is seven precepts. Uh. These seven precepts are found in the Aryan Eightfold Path, also called the Aryan Sila. Right speech, right action, and right livelihood. If you investigate these three factors, it is seven precepts. Three body precepts and four verbal precepts. But the highest still is Bhavana. Bhavana, people often translate as meditation. It is not only meditation. Bhavana is the six, seven, and eight factor of the Aryan Eightfold Path. Right effort and right mindfulness and right concentration. Right effort and right mindfulness uh, is to develop your character. Bhavana, the word means development. So it is development of your character because if you practice these two, uh, right effort and right mindfulness, uh, you will get rid of unwholesome states of mind. And you will develop wholesome states of mind. Unwholesome states of mind, like greed, anger, hatred, revenge, jealousy, small-heartedness, selfishness, arrogance, all these things will bring you to the woeful planes of rebirth, to the ghost realm, animal realm, and hell realm. Wholesome states of mind is like kindness, generosity, compassion, meekness, humility, generosity. All these will bring you up for a good rebirth. So if you practice right mindfulness and right effort, you develop your character. Your character is very important because your character will determine your lingun, your soul. How your soul is shaped is according to your character. And character is so important, the Buddha said, uh, if you want to be reborn in heaven, uh, you have to sue sing now, uh, cultivate yourself uh, until you become a deva or a devi now. Don't wait until you go to heaven to become a deva or a devi. Now you have to become a deva or a devi inside. Then the moment you die, uh, the deva and the devi inside will go to heaven. Mm, that is what sue sing is about. Sue sing is sue sing way. Uh. So, Sing Wei is your character, your conduct, change your conduct. So, this is development of the character. And right, um, right concentration is development of the four jhanas. When you attain the jhanas concentration, your mind is, is got rid of the five hindrances. The five hindrances make us blur, make us have no wisdom. Lead us away from Nibbana, the Buddha said. Make, uh, make us of blindness. You can't see properly. It's like an unfocused mind. 
But when you develop concentration, uh, your mind becomes focused. Uh, then you have wisdom. Uh, not only that, uh, when you attain the jhanas, uh, you have transcended the sensual realm uh, and you've gone to the Brahma realm, the Rupa Loka. You have become like a higher Deva. So, that is development of mind. Getting uh, right concentration uh, is development of mind. Both are important. Development of character and development of mind. That's the meaning of bhavana. That's the highest merit. Because if you practice bhavana, you can become an Arya. Once you become an Arya, the three woeful planes are closed. You'll never be reborn ever again as a ghost, an animal or in hell. You'll only be reborn as a human being and a deva or devi. And then your blessings, your merit uh, will be very great. You come back, uh, you have long life. Ayuvano Sukang Balang. You have long life. Uh, you are beautiful. You are happy, extremely happy. And you uh, become famous and you have uh, power. So the greatest blessing uh, is Bhavana. You see somebody like Angulimala, the bandit, he killed several hundred people. So he should have gone to hell. But because of the Buddha went to him, uh, taught him the Dhamma, and he understood uh, and he became a monk. After becoming a monk, uh, he practiced very hard. Then became an Arahan. He didn't have to repay all that, all that evil that he did. Okay, like what I learned in Buddhism before is that uh, your karma should determine where you rebirth, uh, where you are rebirth to. Uh, so, if for example, if I were to be a diligent Dharma practitioner, I uphold, I uphold my precepts well, I uphold my five precepts well, I do share people things, and I, I, basically I be a good Dharma practitioner, and then, uh, like what you say, uh, when you accumulate good karma, we'll be either you'll be born in uh, the Deva realm or the human realm. But is it possible that uh, I can, I can uh, I, let's say I have a lot, I accumulated my merits and I make an aspiration for my rebirth, like, because I don't want to be reborn, like let's say I have lots of merit, but I don't want to be reborn in the Deva realm, I still want to come back to the human realm and practice Dharma in the human realm. And also I would like to have a, I, uh, let's say I do a lot of donations. So, uh, uh, each, in Buddhism we have one, one, uh, called So, that means if I do a lot of donations, I would most probably be like, uh, be a rich person in my next life. So, is it possible that I use, instead of, uh, becoming a rich person in my next life, I, using my memories, I aspire to be reborn in a, a family that is of virtues and, uh, more, uh, and of moral conduct. And then from there on, I will also be reborn in a family of, uh, who practices the Buddha Dharma so that in next life I can also be a Buddhist again. Is that possible? Provided you have the blessings, uh, the merit, uh, when you make an aspiration, uh, it is possible. Uh, if you don't have the merit, you make an aspiration, it's not possible. Just like if you think you want to be reborn in the heaven, but you don't keep your precepts, you don't do charity, 
But you recite Amitabha and you think you want to be reborn in heaven, uh, it's not possible. In the Buddha's teachings, the Buddha said, uh, what we want in life, uh, we cannot get by praying for it. We cannot get by making vows. We cannot get by crying for it. The Buddha said, uh, if you can get, uh, why is there so much suffering in the world? The hell beings are crying every, every day. The hell beings are crying out so loud. Who is helping them? The ghosts are crying at night because they are walking on the streets, nothing to eat. They have to eat the dead frog, have to eat the dead chicken, have to eat the dead lizard, nothing to eat. They have to go to the jamban, the toilet, to eat the shit. Who is helping them? Nobody is helping them. Because cannot help them because life is like a dream. When you are having a nightmare, nobody can help you because you are inside your nightmare. The other person is not inside your nightmare. Nobody is inside your nightmare. So it's the same in life. Huh? The Buddha said, nah, what we want in life, we have to work for it. For example, the Buddha gave three striking similes. I'll give you two. Lah. One is the Buddha said somebody wants to get oil. So he takes sesame seed, jima, mochi. Uh, then he grinds the sesame seed. Nah. Then he will get oil. Whether he prays for it or he does not pray for it, he'll get oil. Whether he makes a vow or he does not make a vow, he gets oil. But somebody seeing from far, he see the jima, sesame seed is so small, he thought he wanted to copy. He takes sand, he can grind the sand. Can he get oil? He can't get oil. He prays for, for it, can he get? Can Kuan Yim help him to get oil? He cannot. Make a vow, can he get? He cannot. Because he are doing the wrong thing, the Buddha said. So the Buddha said in the same way, somebody wants butter. He takes milk, huh? he churns that butter. After a while, the butter becomes like yogurt, becomes like curd. Keep on churning, huh? and then it becomes butter. Huh? So the Buddha said, huh? he doesn't have to pray, doesn't have to make vow, he will get butter. But another person doesn't understand, he takes water, churn the water. Hundred years or so, he cannot get he prays for it, also cannot get. Make vow, also cannot get. Why? Because he's not doing the right thing. So the Buddha said, uh, you must understand how to get what you want and do the right thing. Suppose as a student uh, in the university, you want to get all A's for your subject. Uh, you go and pray to Tuapekong, can get or not? <laughs> pray to Datokong, can get or not? Pray to whatever Kong Kong, also you won't get. <laughs> Because that's not the right way to get it. If you say it is understood by the Hindus, then he don't have to say man. Everybody knows about rebirth. No, 
No, the Buddha was trying to tell us that because a lot of people, they don't believe in rebirth because they don't see. The Buddha is trying to say there is rebirth and there is happy destinations of rebirth. There are woeful destinations of rebirth. That is why you have to be careful in life. Don't do the wrong things, huh? unwholesome karma that will bring you to a place of suffering. The Buddha is very compassionate. He wants to help us huh, to reduce our suffering. So he's telling us many things that we don't know. When you learn the Dhamma, then you know many things. Huh? Actually, even certain things that Jesus Christ said, huh, a lot of Christians, they don't know. For example, in the Bible, it says, Make your eye one. Make thine eye one. It's to open your third eye. Huh? And then uh, Jesus said, you have seven temples within you. In your body, there are seven temples. These are the chakra points in Hinduism. And then uh, they tried to eliminate uh, this teaching about rebirth in the Bible. Uh, but the early Christian fathers, they believe in rebirth. Only later it was deleted. Uh, but still there is one... Uh, gospel according to St. John, uh, I think chapter 5, uh, where a priest came to see Jesus at night. And then he asked Jesus, he said, Lord, is it true uh, that man must be reborn again before he can enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, truly I say unto you, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Then this man said, what? You mean a person must enter the womb again? Again the Buddha, uh, the Jesus said, yes. Truly, I say, unless a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what is this born of water and of spirit? The Christians say, yeah, born of water, you must be baptized. Born of spirit, now, when you go for mass, huh, you have to drink the wine. But in the Buddha's teachings, there are four types of rebirth. You can be reborn from the egg, you can be reborn from the womb, you can be reborn from water or vapor, and you can be reborn from the spirit. It's direct transformation without going through any intermediate stage. Uh, so the Buddha says uh, that the womb born is the lowest. Uh, uh, sorry, the egg born is the lowest. Higher than that is the womb born. Higher than that is the uh, vapor born or water born. And higher than that uh, is the born of the spirit, direct transformation. So the womb born is like a human. So higher than human is the deva. So like uh, born of the vapor, born of water, uh, maybe cloud, cloud devas. Uh, in the cloud, vapor, uh, they are reborn there. Mm. And then higher devas is directly they are reborn there. Mm. So a lot of things uh, the Buddha taught uh, just to help us uh, reduce suffering. The Buddha, one day he took some earth uh, on his, fing on his uh, fingernail and then he asked his monks, you see this on my fingernail, is it more of the soil in the whole, in the whole earth? And then they said, on your fingernail is so little compared to the whole earth. The Buddha said, in the same way, what I teach uh, is so little, what I know is so much. He said, the Buddha said, I only teach the four noble truths. Because the Buddha wants us to reduce our suffering. A lot of things he doesn't want to talk about because it cannot help you. Sifu, um, I just want to know, since you're talking about rebirth, 
A person who commits suicide na is full of dukkha. Huh? And why is he full of dukkha? Sometimes because he did something wrong. Uh, sometimes because he does not have enough blessings. So after he commits suicide, uh, he's more likely to be reborn in the ghost realm. Committing suicide, uh, you're not harming anybody by harming yourself. So sometimes people say, uh, if you commit suicide, uh, then you keep on committing suicide. I don't think it's true. Uh. Cannot be true. Why? Because... There are some people like me, uh, you bring me up very high and I look down uh, a few hundred feet, I get, I get uh, soft, soft feet, uh, I get frightened, uh, you look down. Why? Because previously, previous life probably I've uh, already fallen, fallen so from a high height. Uh, so when you see, uh, you're scared. Similarly, uh, if a person commits suicide, when he falls down, uh, I had a friend uh, who committed suicide from the 17th floor. He came down and he smashed his head. So you imagine, just before he died, he experienced the pain. So great the pain. You think it doesn't stay with him. He stayed. Next time you bring him so high, probably he looked down, he gets so scared, he dare not go near the ledge. He's not likely to do it again. Just like some people, you give them the opportunity to commit adultery, eh? they dare not do it. Why? Maybe previous life they suffered for it, next time they dare not do it. You give some people the opportunity to slaughter a chicken, eh? so they dare not do because previously eh, they suffered for it. So life, eh, we come again and again, eh? we learn our lessons. As we learn, eh, certain things we dare not do again. So we have come to the end of the talk. Uh, thank you, Bhante, so so much for the enlightening sharing. Can we pay three frustrations to Bhante, please?